This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Hello, I'm Jonathan Dimbleby. Thanks for taking the time to download this edition of Any Questions from BBC Radio 4. Welcome to West Sussex and to the cathedral city of Chichester, once an important Roman settlement, now renowned as a mecca, among other things, for those who love the arts, notably its festival theatre and its modern art gallery, as well as its nearby beaches, from where on a clear day in the summer you can peer through the forest of sails on the Solent and glimpse the Isle of Wight. We are the guests here of Bishop Luffer School, which is named after the man who consecrated the cathedral 908 years ago. It's a Church of England secondary school renowned for high academic standards. On our panel, an MP for nearly 20 years, former Labour Cabinet Minister, now Chair of the Brexit Select Committee, Hilary Benn. Former Cabinet Minister in the Coalition Government as Business Secretary and now Leader of the Liberal Democrats, Sir Vince Cable. Minister of State at the Home Office, responsible for immigration, Caroline Noakes. And one of those Conservative Brexiteers who has no confidence in the Prime Minister, the Leave Means Leave campaigner, Peter Bone. Our panel. And just before we start, a reminder, you can follow the programme at BBC Politics and you can join the debate using the hashtag BBCAQ. We'll go, please, to our first question. Kate Beach, was Mrs May nebulous? The buzzword of the day from Brussels, the President of the Commission used the term, claiming he meant something slightly different or he didn't understand English well enough, but actually it means virtually the same in both languages, and then saying he didn't really mean it about her, but he meant it about what was happening in Parliament. But there's an underlying important point here, is there not, Sir Vince Cable? Well, I think what he actually said, or he certainly clarified afterwards, uh, was that he wasn't talking about Theresa May. He was talking about the British debate, which he said was nebulous and imprecise. And... I think he was referring to the fact that from the point of view of the European Union, uh, we're dealing with a legal withdrawal treaty and the language has to be precise and vague assurances uh, don't cut it. I mean, that's essentially what the argument's about. Um, I think Theresa May, unfortunately, is in the same position she was two or three days ago uh, before they had their leadership contest. She... Uh, is unable to get an agreement through Parliament and nothing has happened in Brussels that makes that fundamentally any different. Uh, But I think in terms of the context of uh, the comments of the European Commission, uh, I I think the spirit was not in any sense anti-her or anti-British. As it happens, I was in Brussels uh, yesterday. I, I met all the leaders of the Liberal parties in Europe, the six prime ministers there. Uh, The overwhelming feeling was one of sadness, actually, and regret. They're actually rather pro-British. They like our liberal approach to economics and to human rights. They would much rather we were there. Uh, They don't want us to leave, particularly. Uh, But we have decided to leave, and they've set very clear principles. They've been totally united in where they are, that if you want to be in the club, you have the privileges of it. If you want to leave, well, you leave, and you can't have your cake and eat it. And they've been completely solid uh, in standing behind Ireland on the particular issue of not having a hard border. 
And I think actually that tells us a lot about the way that the European Union functions, that when it's dealing with uh, external issues, they stand together. That's why it's a very strong unit, and that's why it's a matter, to my mind, a matter of enormous regret that we're actually leaving it. Thank you. We will come on to more of this for certain. <laughs> Caroline Noakes, Minister. I think the uh, accusation that the PM is nebulous is entirely unfounded. She is a woman of an incredible purpose and clarity, and I've always found her to be exactly that. Vince is right when he says that the accusation was not that the PM was nebulous, but that the debate in this country has been a bit hazy and unclear. And I'd certainly agree with that. And uh, earlier on, Peter was talking about us banging on about Europe. I think there's an important domestic programme that I would dearly love us to be able to crack on with. But there have been some positives from the discussions that have happened in Brussels over the last 24 hours or so. We've heard some heads of government, the uh, Danish PM, for example, the Austrian Chancellor, come out and say that they absolutely agree that if more clarity is needed to enable us to get this deal over the line, then there's clearly more work to be done. And the PM has been very uh, certain in that there is more work to be done, but there's a real determination. This is the deal that is on the table. It is the one that's been negotiated. And to be frank, I think it is in our best interest that we do have a deal with the European Union. They are our closest neighbours and a significant trading partner. And like Vince, I've been in Brussels recently. I was there for the Justice and Home Affairs Council last week and had the opportunity to talk to European colleagues about many of the areas that are of continued interest to us and our European neighbours. And I have absolutely no doubt that those bilateral discussions will continue going forward. But you are also presumably in no doubt that when the EU says that there is no possible change to the text of the withdrawal agreement itself, they mean it. There can be no change to that. And the Prime Minister was in a position of seeking clarification. Some people would say warm words, illumination, but the text remains. That, that is the case, yes? The text remains, but the formal conclusions that came from today are commitments with legal status. So, What legal it, status do they have? Well, as they uh, have agreed that the backstop would only be temporary, uh, there are um, determination to work speedily on the future relationship, and that's all... The we determination want, to, to move me. forward so that we can have a future relationship with the EU post Forgive me, determination. People will, it's a pretty important point. People will want to know a determination to move swiftly is not the same as, and if we don't move swiftly on our side, you can unilaterally get out of it. Well, these formal conclusions do have legal status, and the PM is working phenomenally hard to make sure that we have the clarity that some of my colleagues and indeed members across the whole House of Commons want. One more thing before I uh, move on. Um, is Liam Fox right? He said now on two occasions this week that the backstop itself must be changed or the Cabinet, he says rather intriguingly, might not let it be put back to Parliament. Is he right about that? The backstop is certainly the area that is causing an enormous amount of concern to colleagues. I have to say, when I'm in my constituency, people seldom talk to me of the backstop. They talk to me about wanting to get on with the job and get it done and uphold the outcome of the referendum. But Liam has been out negotiating trade deals with his team of ministers in the Department for International Trade, and he's very clear that if the backstop is implemented, it must only be temporary, because actually we want to move to a position where we can have good trading relations but, but, with but other sorry, countries as be, well as the EU. Precision and clarity, as you know very well, is really important. This Yes, no one wants to have the backstop. We're told that, and all sorts of ways of saying that. However, 
the backstop is in the withdrawal treaty and cannot be taken out. Is that correct? Well, that's my understanding. But what we want is to make sure that, uh, A, we don't fall into it, or we use a temporary extension to the implementation period, because none of us want to have to use a safety net, which is not ideal. Peter Bone. Well, I think the EU bureaucrat was being rude to our Prime Minister, as they've been all through these negotiations, and the Prime Minister has been very kind (coughs) towards them. But just the the simple fact is, of course, we don't have a deal. We have a legal withdrawal agreement, which has this uh, Irish backstop in it, but the political declaration of what we might get in the future is just that. It's a declaration of intent. It's, It's no deal at all. So what we're being asked to sign here is stay in the EU indefinitely because of the Irish backstop, give away £39 billion in return to nothing, have the European Court decide on things, stuck with their regulations. No wonder, um, no wonder people think things are hazy, but to, to insult our Prime Minister, that's just uh, not on from the EU, but they seem to want to do that at regular intervals. When you said after she won the no-confidence vote against your lot, you still said, as if kind of reluctant to accept the fact she should have a good night's sleep and then resign tomorrow. That doesn't sound very kind on your part, does it? Well, hang on a minute. I did... Now, now. No, 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 no. Look, I said she should have a good night's sleep. Now, I thought that was a rather kind thing to say. Um, The fact is, um, what, nearly 40% of Conservative MPs don't share confidence in the Prime Minister. In fact... Actually, most of us like the Prime Minister, except in one area, where she's failed to deliver the Brexit people want. And the reason I said she should resign was because after the 2017 general election, she came to speak to all Conservative MPs and she said, I will only lead while I have the broad support of the Parliamentary Party. Now, if you've got nearly 40% of your colleagues voting against you... and, and it's a big thing, first of all, to put a letter of no confidence in against your own leader. And it's not, it is purely relating to try and get the Brexit policy changed. And if you would listen and change the policy and uh, deal with the EU the way they should be dealt with, uh, then I think we would have confidence in her again. But she just doesn't seem willing to do that. Hilary Ben. Well, and maybe something got lost in translation, but I think, uh, in addition to what Vince said about our partners in Europe feeling very sad, I suspect what they're all saying is, what on earth is going on in the UK? Because (laughs) they saw the government pull the vote at the beginning of the week. They wondered on Wednesday whether Theresa May would actually turn up on Thursday, depending on whether she survived... Uh, the vote, and what she's tried to do is to square the circle, and you're absolutely right, Jonathan, in putting the point about the treaty. This is an agreed treaty. They're not going to change the withdrawal agreement. And, you know, throughout this whole Brexit process, there comes a moment, and it's taken a very long time, to realise there are choices that we have to make. And the fantasies of two and a half years ago... Uh, we're going to hold all the cards when we leave, easiest trade deal in history and all that nonsense has proven not to be the case. Now, what I think the Prime Minister is trying to do is to get a bit of paper out of these negotiations. They're talking today, if we can't bring an end date to the backstop, can we have a definite start date for the new trading relationship when the talks are concluded? All I can say about that is 
that is really hard to do because there's so many things that we have to sort out once we've dealt with the divorce. That is, that is going to take a very, very long time indeed. What I think she should do is come back to the House of Commons with whatever she has managed to get out of the EU and put her deal to the vote. Because you know what? The sooner we discover, as I think will be the case, that Parliament will not vote for that deal, and the sooner Parliament then says, by the way, we are not leaving with no deal, because that would be catastrophic and chaotic hold, for the country, Hillary, then Hillary, we can move on Hillary, to other Hillary, things. Hillary, hold it, yeah. We're going to... There are several questions on, on this. But let me ask you about one question that causes some perplexity for yeah. some. Um, the backstop Northern Ireland hard border. Why, some ask, why should there be a hard border if there is no deal given that the Irish Republic says they don't want a hard border, the EU says they won't have a hard border, and the UK says there can't be a hard border. Would there practically be, quotes, a hard border? If so, who would put it up? Well, we asked this uh, question when we as the Select Committee last met uh, Michel Barnier, and the fact is the EU has a set of rules about what can come into the EU, And once we become a third country, if that's what happens, they have to apply those rules. Now, in fairness, the Prime Minister said some time ago um, we would have to take measures at that point. The irony of this problem of the backstop is this for the Prime Minister. She's been skewered by it. She created the problem. But hold on, hold on. You haven't answered answered the question. The question question is very simple. Who would put up the hard the actual hard border, given, given that they believe there would be a hard border if there isn't a deal yep. that encompasses the backstop, who would put it up? Because in the end, the EU would, I think, insist that this land border with a third country is operated in a way that ensures that any goods that come in comply with the rules, the regulations of the single market and the customs union. Now, nobody wants to see that, and that's... Everyone's agreed we want to keep an open border because it's not just about trade, it's about peace in Northern Ireland, the Good Friday Agreement. But the moment the Prime Minister said we're leaving the single market and the customs union, she created the question that you've quite rightly asked, Jonathan, of how do we keep an open border in those circumstances? And everything that has flowed from that has been an attempt to square a circle. And if you're going to create the problem, then of course you have to have some backstop arrangement that will guarantee in all circumstances that that border remains as it is today with goods and lorries flowing back and forth, uh, just like goods moving between one county in England and another. OK, thank you. Um, we'll move to our next, but just before that, um, uh, BBC Politics Most googled, what does nebulous mean? Um, <laughs> answers on a postcard or to Anita Arnand at any answers. Any.answers at bbc.co.uk is the email address, and the number is 03700 100 444. The line's open at 12.30. I hope that's clear enough and not vague or cloudy. Um, <laughs> our next question, please. Ian Thomas. Given the events in Parliament and Brussels this week... Is a no-deal Brexit now inevitable? Hilary Ben, I'm going to come back to you first of all on that. No. It is not inevitable, and it is, in my view, it is not going to happen. One, because Parliament will not allow it. I have uh, an amendment down when the vote comes back that would reject the Prime Minister's deal and reject no deal. Secondly, I don't believe that any responsible government would allow it to happen. 
Now, we will probably hear in the course of this part of the debate, uh, it's all project fear, it's perfectly okay, there's no problems. The thing I find most puzzling about that argument is that those who argue that case, that there isn't going to be a difficulty, appear to know more about what the ramifications of that would be than people who make things and export things and import things for a living. Because we've taken a lot of evidence on the Select Committee from people. I've met lots of businesses. And nowadays, the one thing they want to talk about seeing the mess that we're in over Brexit is, can I just explain to you, they say, what this is going to mean for our business? Example this week. Rolls-Royce, one of our great British success stories, makes fantastic aero engines. They are moving design approval for their engines from Derby, I think it's, to Germany. Now, that'll be a small number of jobs. Why are they doing that? They're doing that in case there were to be a a hard no-deal Brexit because you can't certify engines for use in the EU if you're a third country. And the same is true for lots of other businesses, type approval for cars, never mind the delays there would be between Dover and Calais because, at that moment, the French will start checking what's coming into the EU. It goes back to your earlier question about the Northern Ireland border. So it would be really damaging for the economy. That's what all of the economic assessment says. It would be irresponsible. No-one actually believes it's going to happen, so I think the, the fear that it might happen is, is not telling the truth. Why don't we stop pretending, and why don't we now rule out a no-deal Brexit, because then it will focus people's minds on what it is we need to do. You say, you say it won't happen at the beginning of your yeah. answer. You said that's because Parliament will not allow yeah. it to happen. Am I correct, just as a matter of fact, that Parliament can express a will that it should not happen overwhelmingly? That does not, under the, uh, the law, oblige the executive to obey that will. It can press ahead and say, sorry, we leave March 29. No deal. Legally, you are absolutely right, Jonathan, but this now is a matter of politics. And I do not believe that if the House of Commons, our elected representatives, said by majority to the government, you are not taking us out of the European Union with no deal, that the government would turn round and say, well, that was all very interesting, we're just carrying on anyway. Because if that were to happen then what exactly does our democracy in the House of Commons mean? It would be unacceptable, and I don't believe that the government will do it. Thank you. That's why Parliament needs to get on and make that decision. Peter Bowen. Well, the answer to Hillary is quite straightforward. It's not up to Parliament to decide. We put this to the British people and the greatest democratic exercise we had in the country and people voted to leave and 17.4 million people did so. The fact that the Parliament is stuffed full of Remainers is neither here nor there. And I guess Hillary voted for, I'm sure Caroline voted for, and I certainly voted for, um, uh, the... Triggering of Article 50. And the consequences of that is we can't reach an agreement, is we're coming out with what people call a no-deal. But it's not no-deal, of course. We'll come out and trade on world trade rules, which is how we trade with the rest of the world. And it just so happens we have a huge trade surplus with the rest of the world, a huge deficit with the EU. They sell £100 billion more to us than we sell to them. And by the way, Hillary, I was somebody who used to export and import goods before I became an MP. I've done it. And I will tell you, whether you 
buy your goods from China or whether you buy it from the, from the EU, they turn up on time. And when I exported, whether I exported to America or to the EU, they turned up on time. There is no problem with no deal. And the, one of the advantages of it, we won't have to give these Euro- European Union £39 billion. That's £60 million per constituency. I bet Caroline and Hillary and Vince could find £60 million to spend in their I want to, I want to, I want to bring you back again for clarity's sake. You said um, it doesn't arise. Hillary Benn has just outlined a situation in which the deal is rejected in a meaningful vote and Parliament then has the power to decide. You say it's filled with Remainers. Whether that's true or not, leave that particularly to one side. If they say we do not want a deal, are you really expecting that vote of Parliament to be written over by Theresa May? Well, the, the simple thing is we've already had the vote and we've had legislation. Um, we've no, gone through... No, no, we've taken a bill through Parliament. We have an Act of Parliament which says precisely that, that we will come out with no deal if we haven't uh, arranged a deal before. Now, Vince, I don't think, was in Parliament to vote on that, and he probably thanks Theresa May for calling the general election to get him back in Parliament. So he's got... what. Prime Minister has at least another supporter on the on So the you're saying, tonight. sorry, just to get this, because it, it is really, I think, important for people uh, to have a sense of what is possible and what is not possible. You are saying, regardless of what Parliament says in its meaningful vote, regardless of it then goes on to say, we do not wish to, we will not approve uh, a no deal, somehow or other, you and your supporters will be able to persuade however many... There are already at that time, 36, 48, 117, will be able to persuade the executive to ignore Parliament and say, right, we're leaving. Is that, is that your position in the end? Well, the, the truth of the matter is there's 56 sitting days of Parliament left. If we can get a deal in that time, that's good. But it doesn't look as though that's going to be possible, and therefore we will come out on a no-deal basis. That is what the law of the land is, and I have to say, Hillary, Carol and I voted for that. If, if there is no deal, uh, uh, Sir Vince... Well, I didn't vote for that bit of the bill, well, just to be clear. Let's, let's, let's voted get for to the basic question, is it if, inevitable? It's not only not inevitable, it is wildly improbable. And let's remember why this whole discussion arose. It, arose because when the British government was negotiating with the European Union, they said, well, we have to have the no-deal option because otherwise we've got no bargaining power. But they've now reached an agreement with the European Union. The the only reason why a no-deal could now happen is if the British government decides to make it happen. And there is no reason why they should now do that, because if we get to... um, at the end of the period without an agreement, under the legal ruling that was passed last week, Britain could simply cancel Article 50. We're not bound into it. So it would be a conscious choice of the British government to crash the British economy. It would be like bombing our own country in a war. I mean, absolutely pointless. Uh, The question then is, well, how much damage would it do? Well, there are two versions now of this no deal. One is what's called a orderly no deal, whatever that means, uh, that somehow or other we persuade the European Union to plan with us to stop the grounding of aircraft, all that kind of thing. Well, let's assume for a moment that, 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 that all that happens. It's a bit fanciful. I don't know how on earth it would happen, but let's be generous and imagine it could happen. We then get into the what's called the orderly no deal world, which is what Peter Burns is talking about, 
And that is, uh, it sounds very disarming, you know, this World Trade Organization rules. What it actually means is that we then start trading with the European Union on the same basis as, say, Russia or China, or some of these uh, smaller countries that only trade on World Trade Organization rules like Venezuela or Yemen or something like that. I mean, this actually matters because, as Hillary spelt out very correctly, most of British industry trades with Europe on the basis of common standards. Uh, A lot of our trade with Europe, which is very profitable, is in the services sector, which, of course, is not covered at all by trade organisation rules. So large parts of our economy are plunged into uncertainty in this kind of environment. All the uh, supply chain industries, car industry, uh, the aircraft industry, and our service sector. It, it is potentially very perilous. It's not a question of project fear. It's just spelling out the, 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 bra- the, the blatant retali- the, the, okay. the realities of it. So okay. let's just take no deal off the table. It's not going to happen. It shouldn't happen. It's damaging. It's nonsensical. Let's just talk about the realistic options. Okay. If... If, Minister, um, Theresa May doesn't get her deal through in January, is a no-deal Brexit now inevitable, is the question for me and Thomas. The information is quite clear that if we have no deal, then the default position is that we end up with no deal, but we're working incredibly hard to avoid that. I certainly want us to have a deal with the EU that will enable us to make sure that we have trade that is as frictionless as possible, that we avoid... Uh, defaulting to WTO rules. And, of course, whilst Peter is right to point out that, of course, we can trade on WTO rules, it's worth remembering that there are 68 countries in the world out there who have a side deal negotiated with the EU, either in part or full, and we would be in a position where we'd have to renegotiate that uh, unilaterally uh, because we'd be outside the EU. But the, the Prime Minister is absolutely determined. It's one of the reasons why backed her on Wednesday. It's one of the reasons why I backed her two and a half years ago when she became PM. She is absolutely determined to do the right thing for our country. But some Hillary people can be said, absolutely can I... determined, Minister, some people can be very determined to continue to bang their head against a brick wall um, in a determined fashion because they are so uh, clear-minded or obstinate, however you want to see it. If there is no deal, if it doesn't go through, notwithstanding your support, her support... Do you accept that Parliament, as is insisted by uh, both Hillary and Vince, can say, sorry, we're not going to leave? There has got to be some kind of deal. It will not be acceptable to us to leave the union without a deal. Fine. Do you accept they have that political power with inevitable um, consequence for the government? Hillary described this as a political matter. I regard it as a matter of national interest. Parliament can express that view, whether through Hillary's amendment or other mechanisms, but I think it is absolutely imperative. And if it does, if it does, imp- if it does express that view, and everyone says there's no majority for a no deal in Parliament, if it does express that view, then what? If it expresses that view, I think we will have to consider it very closely and find a path through it. We are all, potentially with the exception of Peter, on this panel determined to get a deal because we want to see our country not disadvantaged. And as one of the ministers that has to plan for the potential eventuality of no deal, let me tell you that planning is going on very seriously. There's an enormous amount of work going into it, but it is a very poor outcome for the UK. If we have queues at Dover, if we're unable to access crucial medicines, we already see scenarios where 
people are stockpiling medicines, and that's not a place that it's I want my the, country to it, be it's in. It's for that kind of reason, I presume, that Tobias Elwood, the defence minister in relation to defence and other issues, has said very unequivocally, no deal is not an option. Do you agree with him? No deal is a very poor option, and we are doing the best that we can to avoid that. There's talk, come back to you, Hilary, on this. There's talk of alternatives to no deal, um, that there could be an indicative vote people are talking about, which would mean that you could test Parliament's views in relation to the Norway option, the Canada option, WTO option, remaining in option, etc. Do you find that is a, a, a way forward that would be useful I do. I think that will be the essential next and urgent step uh, once the Prime Minister's deal, as I think is likely to happen, is defeated. And if we're lucky, no deal has been taken off the table. But if no deal hasn't been taken off the table at that point, we'll put it on the list and let's see how many members of Parliament will go through a division lobby to vote to leave with no deal. And at that moment, you will begin, you will understand, is there anything that might command a majority in the House of Commons. And I think that's an obligation on us. Now, it's difficult for the government, probably, to organise that, and that's why I think Parliament taking back control, I thought that's what we were doing. And when you said, Peter, it's not up to Parliament to decide, uh, hang on, um, I thought that's what we were here for. No, 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 no. You, you, you can't... You, you, you can't get away with that, Hillary. Yeah. There, there's nobody more determined to defend Parliament than myself, and I do that on many occasions and get in trouble with my party for doing so. I voted for the contempt of Parliament motion, which, of course, um, my government uh, didn't uh, support. But the point is this was the one decision that Parliament delegated to the people, and we have to deliver what the people voted for, and they voted for Brexit. Okay, But the referendum wasn't about whether we leave with no deal, was it? No, it wasn't about a deal at all. It was about coming out of the EU. There was no talk of deals. The the simple thing is come out or stay in. And you can't be half in and half out. And I'm afraid that's what Theresa May's so-called deal is trying to do. In parenthesis, the possible alternative government, were there to be an election, which Labour would win? And if we were... therefore in a position for them to, to negotiate, they say, or the leadership says, that they want a single market, effectively, but without freedom of movement, a customs union with Britain free to make its own deals outside. I put it to you that your colleagues, I know that you are, aren't at one, are, are in, living in fantasy land, cloud cuckoo land, if they think that's negotiable. Well, firstly, just to uh, correct one bit of it, the... Labour was previously arguing that we should be able to make our own trade deals, but when we changed our policy during the course of the year to remaining within a customs union... Uh, we they want party, some say now. They want uh, some well, say. say in the negotiation of the trade deals, but being part of a customs union in which the UK couldn't negotiate its own trade deals. Example, the EU's just agreed a trade deal with Japan. Now, the EU economy and the Japanese economy make up about 25% of global GDP, and that's been negotiated on behalf of all of us, once we leave, the EU will write to Japan and say, for the transition period, do you mind if the UK tags along? And once the transition period is over, it's up to you entirely whether you continue to have a trade deal of that nature with the UK. Now, that's what's at stake. There are 40 of those trade deals. On the single market, I mean, I would argue that 
you're right that in the end you, you can't be kind of half in or half out of the single market. The EU's made that very, very clear during the course of this and I've argued for us to uh, follow Norway in terms of the single market and remain in a customs union. Even if in but, the case of Norway, uh, Hilary Benn, even yeah. in the case of Norway, it means you no longer are able to change the rules on immigration except in a crisis. You accept freedom of movement and you accept in the Norway situation, that you are not at the negotiating table, although you can discuss it and your advice is heard. Well, it depends... That's a price worth paying, is it? It depends whether... Because a treaty would have to be negotiated. We're not just going to take it off the shelf. But at least those are two models that the EU understands. When they looked at the Chequers proposal, they basically said, does not compute, because you're trying to mess with our system. And Michel Barnier told us in September, well, this is unacceptable. It's not going to happen. Now, it's an example of trade-offs, but it is true this. One, we could change the way in which we operate free movement in this country within the rules. And two, you have referred to the emergency break that Norway has got under, I think it's Articles 112 and 113, for those who are interested, of their EEA agreement. Are you, uh, Minister, given given the situation which we are very likely uh, to find ourselves in, do do you think that the indicative vote, even if you couldn't introduce it, obviously, would at least give people a sense of where Parliament's feelings where the prospects may lie? Over the last week or so, I've heard uh, both colleagues and uh, opposition MPs begin to talk about indicative votes. I require some persuading on that. I think it's quite a high-risk strategy. We might be in a position where absolutely nothing gains a majority in Parliament, and then you're at a real on-pass. I thought it was interesting what Hillary said about before Labour's policy change. I would simply query... Which one? Because it's very unclear to me whether Labour is supporting a second referendum or not. Some of them are. Some shadow ministers are. Some aren't. Uh, They have their six tests, which to me sound rather like having your cake and well and truly eating it. Uh, But it's okay because even their own shadow Department for International Trade minister doesn't really seem to support their six tests. Use a very uh, interesting word, which I won't say on the radio to describe it. Um, So I think lettuce is it? No, don't. More than four. Um, and uh, I think we're indicative votes, to me, just, uh, just sound as if we're sort of casting, casting the net around trying to find a solution, when actually there is a solution. There's a deal that the Prime Minister's negotiated. OK. Um, Vince Cable. Just to get back to the question, which is about no, no deal, deal yeah. and, and try to get away from nebulous and imprecise and be a bit more concrete. I'll just take one concrete example. If we had an orderly no deal, let alone a disorderly one, To just take one sector of the British economy, which is farming. British sheep and mutton can no longer be exported to the European Union because of tariffs, even under this so-called World Organisation rules. The British Agriculture Minister, Defra, have contingency plans to slaughter over half the British sheep population if this so-called orderly no-deal happens. That is some indication of, of what we're talking about in the real world in concrete terms. Is that, a price, worth, is that a price worth paying, paying as it were, if, if that is the price? If that is the price, uh, Peter Bone, if that is the price, if they are making those kind of plans, uh, do you describe that as project fear? I mean, the sheep might be pretty frightened, but is that project fear or is it a realistic well, uh, possibility? It, it, it's project fear number two. I've never, ever, in all the evidence that we've heard before the Select Committee, ever heard that suggested. And it seems to me that... Uh, We know what Project Fear said. They said we were going to have mass unemployment, house prices would fall. I think at one stage they promised 
plague, but none of those things actually happen. Okay. In fact, we've got record employment, uh, uh, unemployment down to its lowest level, house prices, growth in the economy, all the things that they said wouldn't happen. So why now, Vince, should we believe you now when you were wrong, so wrong before? Hillary Ben, very quickly. Don't believe us. Don't believe us. David Davis, before the Select Committee, I asked him, can you confirm that beef and dairy producers would face tariffs of 30 to 40% if we left without a deal? And he said, yes, that is the case. And that is why British beef and dairy farmers are aghast at the suggestion from anybody that we should leave the EU with no deal. So let's take it off. Any answers? Anita Anand, 03 700 Tweet, hashtag BBCAQ. And as I said before, you can follow us at BBC Politics. We'll go swiftly, please, to our next... Louis Buckler, in a true democracy, should the people be able to voice their opinion on an issue on more than one occasion? Forgive me. (laughs) Forgive me asking, because you look somewhat younger than I am, uh, would you have the right to vote under the present uh, system? Uh, No, I'm 17, so unfortunately. You're 17, okay. Should the people have a right to vote? Caroline Noakes, if the situation is felt to be different, if there is pressure for, um, you call it a people's vote, call it another referendum, a second referendum, whatever you like, any reason why it wouldn't be, as uh, Lewis Buckler asks, a true democracy in action? I have an example that's really close to home. That my own daughter was fuming with David Cameron because he called the referendum one month too early. She was 18 uh, towards the end of July in 2016 and absolutely livid that she couldn't cast her vote. Um, And I don't think she's going to forgive him for that for a very long time. Uh, People had their say. A referendum was held in 2016 and the result, whilst not overwhelming, was clear. I believe that we have a democratic duty to uphold that result but we have to uphold it in a way which does not disadvantage our economy, which does not disadvantage young people and the opportunities that they have moving forward, which is why I think it's so imperative that we leave with a deal. I think a second referendum, and I can only speak from the perspective of my constituents who've contacted me over the course of the last two and a half years, and in that time I have had two constituents email me and say, I voted leave and I bitterly regret it. I would argue that the vast majority who have contacted me have become more entrenched in their views one way or Leaving the other. aside how people might vote, this one is a question of, of, of principle. And we know the Prime Minister is no stranger to making U-turns. Um, if push comes to shove in this, um, and there seems to be no way out, she presumably is not going to go on saying no, no, no to a second referendum, another referendum? I think the responsibility lies with Parliament to find a way out and to find a solution to the current impasse, I'm far from convinced that a second referendum would give us any different outcome. And I think we need certainty. It would cause greater delay, greater uncertainty for business, and I think that's the worst outcome. Uh, Vince Cable, can I suggest you the only reason you're so keen on a second referendum, another referendum, is because you hope that the position will be reversed. You're a Remainer, um, and you don't like it, the fact that they leave us voted as they did first time round and you want to tell them to do it a different way this time? Well, I'm I'm not keen on referendums in principle. I think it's not a good way to settle complex issues of this kind. But uh, Parliament can't just cancel Brexit because there has been a a, a public vote. It has, I think, to go back to the public. And it's perfectly reasonable, I think, 
to do so because it's now clear in a way that it wasn't clear two years ago what Brexit means. What would be your questions Well, my question would be, do you wish to adopt the Brexit deal that's been negotiated by the government? Uh, or would you choose to remain within the European Union? You wouldn't give those 17.5 million people who voted first time round leave a chance to say that they actually still hold that view? Well, they, they would have the chance to express that view if they supported the Brexit deal. I mean, we've well, they wouldn't, would they? negotiated the, a deal on your behalf, and you have forgive, a chance Forgive me, to the Brexit deal is not... Uh, uh, the one kind of Brexit in the deal is the one that... The, the well, there are numerous different versions They couldn't have Peter Brexit. Bones... Ver- they couldn't the have Peter Bones There are numerous version. different versions, but the only practical one that is actually on the table is the one that Theresa Bay has negotiated, and it seems to me quite reasonable to turn to the public and say, do you want it, or would you rather stay within the European Union? A lot, lot of people are saying that they will feel desperately offended if they're asked to vote again, but if, if you consider some of the big decisions that we make in our private lives. I mean, I'm happily married. I've never had to have a divorce, but many people do, or many people undertake a big purchase, like buying a house. And we make a decision in principle. We consult the professionals uh, and then reconsider it. You know, if you decide to move house, you may decide in principle... If you get a surveyor to give a bad report on where you're moving to, you may change your mind. I mean, why on earth, with something of immense national importance, can't people be given the chance to change their mind if that's what they want to do? If they want to confirm it, that's fine. Let's press ahead with it. But at least give people the chance to vote on it. Peter Bowen, is your aversion to the idea of another referendum because you're rather fearful that maybe people might change their mind from the way they did it the first time and you just don't want to hear that? Well, actually not. I think if we had enough a referendum, a proper referendum, we would have a larger leave vote because the project fear that we was put before the people, which scared some people off from voting leave, now turned out to be false. But I'm really, it's really generous of... Vince to offer me a referendum where either I can either vote for Remain or vote for a deal which isn't Brexit. That's not... I'm going to be the one that's going to vote against the Theresa May's plan. It is clearly not Brexit. It's not even Brexit in name only. So give me that choice. I mean, that's like... And by the way, Vince, I heard you say that, of course, if on this occasion people voted to... If what you'd say is leave... Uh, then we must honour the decision. I can remember everyone, all the politicians, saying before the referendum, this is it, this is your choice. You, what happens will define it. And you're a bad loser. You lost. And if, we lo- and if you lost the next one, would it be the best of five? Well, I mean, it is absurd, Vince. <laughs> We've had two already. Hilary Ben. I'm not one of those thus far who has argued for a second referendum because I think we have had an obligation to do our best to implement the first one. But if it turns out to be the case, the Prime Minister deal is defeated, we're not going to leave with no deal, and none of the other options that Parliament, I hope, will have a chance to consider can command a majority, then I can't see any other way that we're going to resolve this other than by going back to the people. It would not surprise me, by the way, 
if the Prime Minister were to call a referendum herself on her deal. But I would just say this to you, Peter. The part of the problem, and you asked the perfectly important, you know, proper and important question, Jonathan, about what other questions there might be on the ballot paper. The fact is the Brexiteers cannot agree amongst themselves what kind of Brexit they want. Is it a Canada Brexit? Is it a WTO Brexit? Is it a run-out-slam-the-door, shout-over-your-shoulder, you, you can forget the money, Europe, kind of uh, devil-take-the-hindmost Brexit? They can't agree amongst themselves. Well, and if they can't, how in, can anyone else no, make a no. decision? And by the way, if we do get to that, and the only way to resolve it, and of course people can change their minds, I hope very much that you are going to be able to vote. Because I tell you, if there is a referendum, we'll have to legislate. We'll have to extend Article 50, by the way. And I'm sure okay. there'll be many of us moving an amendment to the bill to ensure that 16 and 17 year olds, because it's about your future, will have the vote. Lewis, Lewis, when are you 18? When are you 18? Uh, uh, December. Oh, no, sorry. No, a year from now. A year yeah. from now? Yeah, next December. Oh, yeah. goodness. I'm not sure that uh, yeah. it's under the present rules, so anyone's <laughs> going to wait that long. We're going to squeeze in, very briefly, the most important question after quite a serious debate, the really serious question, which is our last one, please. David Gibson. Mr May is reported as recently cooking baked beans on toast for the PM after she had a difficult day. What meal would you cook for your partner in such circumstances? Very quickly, I'm afraid, please. I don't know whether you do any cooking, Peter, but what, do you, what would you cook for your partner? If I cooked anything for my partner, she'd be wondered what I'd been up to. Um, <laughs> and she wouldn't survive the meal anyway. Um, Caroline, you cook? Yeah, I can cook, but as a tragic singleton on the panel, I won't be cooking for a partner. However, when I've had a bad day, I have... Um, I have to say, a precious daughter who invariably cooks me an omelette, which is absolutely my favourite food, and I have to say, probably the only thing that she can cook. <laughs> Do you have anything in the omelette, or is it just a pure egg omelette? Ham and cheese, every time. Ham and cheese. I'm not going to say what you wanted to have before we had I the I wasn't program. allowed what I wanted on my pizza. Do you know what you wanted before the programme, very swiftly? Tell us what you wanted before the programme. So I'm suffering from some massive retro thing, and I, uh, my favourite pizza is a Hawaiian, which Jonathan found completely disgraceful. <laughs> I'm not going to go to an audience vote. For those who know what a Hawaiian is, you know it's absolute, um, I'm very neutral, rubbish. Um, <laughs> Hillary. I think, I think my wife uh, uh, would probably be aghast at the suggestion that I might try and cook her something, so I'd probably make some tea, toast and marmalade. She'd look at it and say, what on earth is that? And I'd say, oh, sorry, and probably eat it myself. <laughs> Vince. Well, I'm not a cook either, but I'm a, I'm a good undercook. I cut the onions and the garlic and such. But, but I think probably what I would offer is a, a very hot curry. I couldn't then be accused of being too European. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's all we have time for. Next week, we're going to be in St. John's Wood Church in London. Two of our panellists, I know, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who chairs the European Research Group, and he will be welcome on the panel, along with the shadow SNP spokesperson, um, Joanna Cherry, and two others. But from here to our panel, thank you for exploring these very important issues. All our questions, I should say, virtually, no, there were some others which we didn't get to, almost all our questions were on the issue of Brexit, which is why we make no apology in genuine uh, sense of what matters for studying that at length. Thank you to our audience very much and to the school. Bye. Did you enjoy the podcast? 
Discover more music, radio and podcasts on BBC Sounds. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts.